So it's been just about uh, two weeks since we launched the book of Leviticus, and I wanted to pick up where we left off. Bruce, is it possible to uh, maybe uh, just turn some, some, some lights off on the stage so we can see a little bit better? How many of you were here two weeks ago when Brother Lance introduced the book of Leviticus? All except two. Uh, so the classes are being recorded, and if you have happened to miss two weeks ago the introduction to Leviticus, I encourage you to listen to it. We will touch very briefly today, but we're not going to go into details really why we should study Leviticus. We're just going to study it. Um, so if you have your Bibles, make sure you turn to the book of Leviticus, and we shall continue. Okay. So uh, from the introduction to the book of Leviticus, um, who can tell me what is the key phrase that we find in this book? Key phrase, key word. I wasn't here two weeks ago, so I just want to make sure that... Uh, you, I don't introduce anything strange or that was not shared. Offering. offering. Okay, this is the one key concept, offering. What else do we learn in Leviticus? Bill? <laughs> high priest, minister of high priest, okay. What else? Definitely tabernacle. Anyone on that side? When you think of Leviticus, what do you think of? Law. 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 Okay. So the, the book of Leviticus that we know as Leviticus in the Hebrew Bible, it is named and he called. Why? This phrase actually... Um, God, the Lord said to Moses, and he called to Moses. It's repeated 37 times in the book of Leviticus. So it's very interesting when we think about book of Leviticus. This is a God's instruction to Moses and through Moses to the entire covenant people of Israel, how they should come into his presence. So as we study book of Leviticus, uh, how many of you have read Leviticus this year through your Bible study plan? Okay, there are a few of you. Good. How many of you skipped Leviticus? You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, yes, this is a... It's very interesting that in a Western society, we tend to skip Leviticus. But in the Jewish uh, setting, guess which book uh, is given to children to read the first book of the Bible? It's the book of Leviticus. Why is that? He has so many pictures. How many of you like books with pictures? Only myself. Yeah. No, there are a few of you. That's good. This book has so many illustrations. And as uh, we are New Testament believers, we're going to read through Leviticus. And we're going to study through Leviticus. And really highlight a lot of pictures that point to Christ. He is ultimate fulfillment. He is the ultimate lamb. And... Uh, my purpose to keep this introductory slide is really for us to understand that even though it says Leviticus or pertaining to the ministry of priests, 
Actually, the whole book speaks about the person and works of Christ. And we will uh, see how it comes about. So, in a, yeah, I skipped very quickly. So, the way Leviticus came to us is really from the Greek word uh, Leviticon. And, and what it means is that which pertains to the priest. So, it's not necessarily addressed or describes the ministry of Levites, but it describes the ministry of Levitical priests. So, priests would be the focal point in this book. So, as we continue, what is the key word? Two weeks ago, as Brother Lance was uh, explaining, he explained this very important concept that is described here in this book. What is the key important word we must remember? From book of Exodus, what was the key word we, we needed to remember? Redemption. Okay, you passed the class. Good. Uh, for, for, for Leviticus, what is the key word? If you don't remember anything else, one word you must know. What is it? Anybody on this side? It starts with holy and ends with ness. Holiness. Holiness, thank you. That's the key words. As we will read through Leviticus, as we study, this is going to be the key concept that will be described and illustrated. So who can give me a definition of holiness? Being set apart. When you think of God being holy, what does the scripture communicate to us? First, he is set apart. Set apart in which way? In his righteousness. So concept of purity. So he is not mixed. There is nothing mixed, nothing sinful that is part of his being, part of his character, part of his nature. What else? This is our typical uh, concept, uh, the way we understand and perceive a holiness from moral purity standpoint. But uh, when we read Old Testament, holiness means far greater. It actually has a primary meaning to it. So we've heard set apart. In which way God is set apart? He is unique. This is a very important for us to remember. When we think of holiness, God is other. He is not created being. He is the creator. He is apart from the entire creation. So all of our experience that we have in this world, we always experience creation. God is not like creation. There is nothing in creation that will characterize or uh, simulate. So if we are to draw the parallels, there is nothing that would reflect his uh, being. And where do we see that clearly specified and stated for the people of Israel and for us? How many of you remember Ten Commandments? I'm not going to ask you to recite all ten. But what are the first three speak about? They really describe and prescribe and instruct the people of Israel and us about God's holiness. People of Israel were instructed to worship none others. They were instructed not to create any images that they would see in the sky or in the water on the surface. Why? Because there is nothing in this creation that can depict God. He's holy. So Leviticus is going to really hammer this truth and this concept for us. 
So what is the purpose of the book of Leviticus? For those of you who do not turn fan when you read through, um, what is the purpose? It is to instruct the nation of Israel how she must live and worship as God's chosen people. You remember on Sinai when God called nation of Israel, he said, you are the kingdom of priests, the whole nation set apart. So now this nation, as, it entered, as she entered into the relationship with holy Yahweh, so now they have a challenge in response to his holiness, how they should dwell with God being in their midst. So this is really the purpose for us as we consider book of Leviticus. These notes will be available, <coughs> excuse me, on the website, so if you do not write fast enough, do not worry. Now, as we read through Leviticus, <coughs> it's important for us to really keep, keep in mind the broad picture, the outline. So who would say, or who may know the outline for the book of Leviticus? Outline is the way we connect information, just help us, helps us to remember. In Exodus, we remember three points. Israel in Egypt, Israel on the way to Sinai, Israel at Sinai. In, in the book of Leviticus, there are two large points, really. And this is how we see the book divided. Chapters 1 through chapter 16 and chapters 17 through 27. So what would be broad concepts? Well, the first, the way to God through appropriate worship. So this is actually, as we're going to open Leviticus chapter 1, this is what it starts with. If anyone wants to come into the presence of God, how they are to come. And here we will read... Uh, I'm not sure if you can see well. Enjoying God's presence, entering God's service, encountering God's design, and ensuring God's forgiveness. How many of you read news yesterday or today? Nobody reads news. Okay, so some of you read. I know it's not a Leviticus question, but uh, you can answer. How many of you came across the concept of Yom Kippur? In reading the news. So as we speak about Leviticus, uh, this is the time when uh, Israelites and those who uh, profess to have some type of religious, I guess, uh, confession or profession, they celebrate Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is, is a holiday that is, as CNN stated, prescribed by Moses, which I found it very interesting. They somewhat correct. Um, it is in Leviticus chapter 16. This is an annual celebration for any Jews, and they would celebrate through, uh, through the 70 AD until the destruction of the temple. Now they try to celebrate in a different way. Uh, during the Yom Kippur, is from the New Year's through the Day of Atonement, uh, Jews, they basically either fast, they reflect on their past sins, they plead with God, they want to start a new year with a fresh new page. But what is missing in the modern celebration of Yom Kippur? What can truly atone for our sins? Blood. This is what is very interesting that uh, CNN, CNN didn't pick up on that. They did not join our class. But <clears throat> so right here, ensuring God's forgiveness, this is a 
chapter 16 that deals specifically with the Day of Atonement for the entire nation. And this is what the Jews celebrate today. Now, second half of the book is the walk with God through obedient lifestyle. So we not only learn how to, how to approach God, but how do we walk with God? And the nation of Israel, as God lived in their midst, they were instructed how to approach him and how to walk with him. First, by enacting God's word. Yeah, they had to, whatever they learned in terms of commands and instructions, they had to apply in their lives. And uh, from 16, chapter 17 through 26, we will read various regulations. Again, uh, Lance, he highlighted multiple of uh, concepts relating to human sexuality, uh, type of what is considered clean and unclean, how do they treat the neighbor, uh, speaking of the neighbor, where do we find the second greatest commandment? That was a question asked of me, and I did not know the answer a while ago, so I'm... It's not necessarily always referred to, but second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, is in this section, in Leviticus chapter 19. So when Jesus was tested, and uh, uh, the expert of the law asked him, Rabbi, what is the greatest commandment? Well, love the Lord your God with all your soul, strength, and might. And second is love your neighbor as yourself. This is really the summary of the entire law. So this summary is going to be stipulated here in this section. And the last section of Leviticus, really enamored by God's grace, um, we will read about festivals, different celebrations, also blessings and curses that would be obligated, or every Jew was obligated to obey God's word and God's instructions in order to be blessed by God. So when we consider Leviticus, um, when was book written, or when the Jewish people as a nation received that book? Any ideas? Any guesses? So if the book of Exodus really came to us when Israel was at Sinai, when Leviticus came to us? It's really right at the same time. So the next uh, slide is really a summary, and I, my guess is somewhat difficult to see just a lot of information. And I don't expect you to memorize it, but I, I think it's very helpful. Well, okay, Carl, we'll have exam for next week. <laughs> I think it's very helpful to see, and hopefully uh, those of you who are sitting a little further can see, that the book of Leviticus is really taking place right here. Um, can someone open Exodus chapter 40, verse 17, and read for us, please? Someone else, if you, if you could open Numbers chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and the third person, if you could open Leviticus 27, 34. Okay, Numbers chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so notice these two passages, Exodus chapter 40, verse 17, and Numbers uh, 1, 1. 
they give to us the chronology when the book of Leviticus is taking place. And notice uh, uh, chapter 40, verse 17 of Exodus, uh, Lord spoke on the first month. This is when the tabernacle was completed. Now in the first month of the second year. And next we pick up in numbers on the, on the first of the second month. So the book of Leviticus, from the time uh, standpoint, it takes place over a period of how many months? The answer is one month, okay? So you have the first day of the first month, first day of the second month, the difference would be just one month. And where does it take place? Uh, Leviticus 27, 34. So this is the concluding verse of book of Leviticus. And it tells us that, that God, uh, the Lord Yahweh, he spoke these commandments, the entire book of Leviticus, to Moses and through Moses to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. If you are wondering what Mount Sinai looked like, uh, I encourage you to look back through uh, our prior classes on Exodus. We spent some time and showed the illustrations of Sinai. Yeah. But today we're going to move back, move forward with Leviticus. So oftentimes we tend to read about the book, and today I want us to actually go through a section. We really will focus on portion of chapter 1 today. So anyone who would like to read Leviticus chapter 1, 1 and 2? The text is here on the screen as well. Bread. I know you're eager. If you would be so kind to stand and loud and clear, read so everybody can hear. Thank you. So there are a number of concepts that we have learned and it would be very important for us to step back and review. Notice uh, in this introductory passage, it is the Lord and in English Bible, when the word the Lord is in all caps, it really tra translates the Hebrew word for Yahweh. And that, this is the unique name for God that appears in the, on the pages of the Bible over 6,000 times. This is actually the most common word in the entire scripture, Yahweh. Second, what we learn here, that, uh, that the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from where? From the tent of meeting. You remember Exodus chapter 40, and I think Brother Tim was uh, teaching on Exodus 40, uh, when the structure of tabernacle was completed, what happened then? The cloud of glory filled the tabernacle and how many people could enter in? Absolutely none. Nobody could come into the presence of God. And so from now on, um, we will see, and God is really occupying his throne in the midst of Israel. So tabernacle becomes this central place for worship or for visible presence of God himself, holy and righteous God. And now he speaks from the tabernacle, from which place specifically in the tabernacle? from the Holy of Holies, and where about? I know I don't have a picture today. 
But if you remember, the structure of Holy Holies, there was the ark, and then there was a covering on the top of the ark with the two cherubims. So he speaks above the cherubims. And from there, he would speak to Moses. And God speaks through Moses to the sons of Israel, really addressing the question of worship. So, in the book of Hebrews, it's interesting, uh, we're going to draw again multiple parallels with the book of Hebrews, but the, the author of Hebrews, when he speaks to us, uh, in the past, God would speak through prophets in many ways, but in the last days, he has spoken to us through whom? His through his son, Jesus Christ. And what, do we, what did we learn in terms of the tabernacle of Jesus Christ? What is the relationship? John 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. So here in Leviticus, God speaks from a physical tabernacle, indwelling it in the, in the last days, and really the final time he spoke to us through the living tabernacle, Jesus Christ himself, God, God the Son. So this is the place um, where God would address people of Israel. As we studied the book of uh, Exodus, and specifically we spent a few Sundays on tabernacle, what piece of furniture was missing in the tabernacle? Or was never mentioned? Thank you, Ken. Uh, Brother Ken, uh, he just said, no place to sit. Unlike the modern churches, tabernacle had no seats. It was a place designed for one purpose, for worship. Nobody came to tabernacle as observant. Everyone who was there, they came for one purpose, to worship. This is exactly what tabernacle was designed and really was an instruction. And the book of Torah or five book of Moses, they would reinforce that truth in the minds of people of Israel. The tabernacle was a central place for worship. Uh, I know we're kind of going a little bit ahead. The uh, book of Numbers will describe that. But where was tabernacle positioned in, in terms of the nation of Israel? It was open to the east, but it was positioned right in the center. And the rest of the tribes, first uh, you have priests who would be the closest to the tabernacle, then Levites and the rest of the tribes that will be positioned in different directions. So the whole purpose, and if you consider really the political, the social, and religious life of people of Israel, everything with a focal point on tabernacle, because this is where the glory of God dwells. This is where we come to fellowship with God. This is where we come to atone for our sins and to be reconciled with God and enjoy His presence and walk with Him. Who can tell, again, uh, connecting with Exodus, what was the purpose when God instructs Moses, saying, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go? For which purpose? For worship. Exactly. So they would bring a sacrifices. Uh, this is really why people of Israel would leave Egypt, so they can worship and adore one and true living God. 
So it is interesting, Dr. MacArthur in his book on worship, uh, he pointed out that there are 31 verses in Genesis that describe or are devoted to the narrative and the creation of the world. In 243 verses in Leviticus 1 through 7, they detailed, provide us detailed description of worship. So where would you think the priority of the scripture is when it gives the emphasis to us? It's really on worship. And we, we have to think about that and understand this. So this is where we will start uh, today and we will draw some lessons for us as we think about the holiness of God who is completely separated from creation from anything that is sinful and how do we come into his presence to worship him so we come with means of the, the Jews at that time they would come with means of sacrifices so let us read Leviticus chapter 1 verses 3 through 9 so I need somebody who can read loud and clear who has a very good caring voice. Nathan. Just reading this uh, few verses, you can see why this would be a first book children would read. They just have so many questions. Mom, Dad, what is this? What does this word mean? I'm sure they would be a lot more familiar since uh, they would live with a lot of animals and they would see that displayed before their eyes. But definitely, uh, it will provide an opportunity for many, many conversations. So as we consider whole burnt offering, I, I edit this word whole burnt offering because uh, that's really what it means. This first sacrifice um, it meant to be consumed in the entirety. So what was the purpose of this whole burnt offering? As you look in your texts. Okay, make atonement for sin. There is definitely that element. So as we will study a little further, there, there would be uh, five offerings. Uh, there would be grain offering, peace offering, guilt offering, and sin offering, and uh, whole burnt offering. So five of them. Uh, we will try to uh, go a little faster, but um, today we're just going to focus on the whole burnt offering in the next 12, 15 minutes what we have here. 
well, the, the, this burnt offering, really, its focal point was to honor God. It was presented on a voluntary basis, and it was actually practiced in Israel in their worship daily. Priests would do daily. But notice that the text directs the attention to, not to the priests, but to people who are part of the nation, saying, if any one of them would like to come before the Lord, this is how they should do it. They should bring an offering. And, and God gives this instruction for this burnt offering. Now, why is it first? Well, first of all, it, is, it was probably the most common because the practice of burnt offering did not originate here in Leviticus 1. Who can tell the first time the burnt offering was mentioned? Genesis. Very good. Where exactly? After the flood. Thank you, Bill. Exactly. So Noah was the first person who would offer burnt offering. And as you read the, the, the narrative uh, pre-flood, Noah purposefully selects clean animals, seven pairs. And you wonder why. And the author says, well, just keep reading. Leviticus will explain. Um, who else? Job. You remember when, when his children would gather together for a time of celebration or party or a birthday, he would raise up in the morning and he would offer burnt offering on behalf of them in case any of them would think something blasphemous against God. Abraham. Who, can, who remembers Abraham, uh, Genesis 22? What is the story there? Isaac. So there was a burnt offering, and that burnt offering served for what purpose? As a substitute. And and Lord revealed his name and says, the Lord will provide. And definitely was a very perfect substitute for Isaac. So what was the purpose of the burnt offering? The purpose was to, it was really the most significant illustration for worship. And as we look at the details, we will make the parallels to the New Testament prescription of worship. And really what we sing here through songs and what we read through the scriptures. So uh, notice that burnt offering, um, it, was, it would be, or it had to be burned entirely. And the, the term to burnt offering really comes from the, from the root or from the term to ascend. So it just when the smoke of the offering would ascend to heaven. Um, you have said that the entire animal would be consumed by fire, apart from skin. And as we will learn with other offerings in the whole burnt offering, there was nothing shared with either priests or an offerer, somebody who would bring a sacrifice. It is 100% totally devoted to God. And what does the burnt offering foreshadow? It foreshadows Jesus Christ. So what kind of animals uh, Israelites were required to bring, and we did not read the entire chapter one, but if you read the entire chapter one, you will see uh, really three types, which are, so in the first section we read, if somebody wants to bring an animal from the herd, and herd means what? 
It's a larger animal, like a bull or a cow. So this is type of animals, really. Second category would be from the flock. And from the flock would be a little smaller. It should be sheep, lamb, goat. And third category would be a bird. Now, where do we find the offering of the bird in the New Testament? Mary and Joseph in Luke chapter 2. So it's interesting as we read through these offerings, uh, they highlight uh, somebody's economic standing. But I want you to notice that regardless of economic standing of people of Israel, they all have an opportunity to come and worship God. Regardless of your economic standing today, you have an opportunity to come and worship God today. So let's take a look at the sacrificial victim. In, in verse 3 of chapter 1, we read that he, was, he had to be a male. And then what was the nec next requirement? Without blemish. So he had to be perfect. And the word for perfect, really, it would be complete, lacking nothing. Uh, you, you may remember Minor Prophets, um, the, prof the last uh, book of the Old Testament in our English Bible, the book of Malachi, where God addresses people of Israel and confronts them because they fail to bring a sacrifice that is without defect. It's Malachi chapter 3, uh, chapter 2 or chapter 3. And it has to be acceptable to the Lord. So what does it mean to be acceptable to the Lord? It means really to find flavor, uh, favor with God. It's God would be pleased, he would be delighted in the sacrifice. So where the whole burnt offering would be offered? It's interesting that God specified to the people of Israel, and they seem to have a hard time to remember it. Because when you keep reading the rest of the Old Testament, you find they're sacrificing anywhere but at the doorway of the Tent of Meeting. Even though Solomon built ginormous temple, they would sacrifice in thousands of animals. People of Israel, you read the story of the rest of the kings, they failed to bring to this one central location for worship. Why God is clearly and specifically instructs Israel this is the place for worship. As they're heading to the promised land, who are they going to encounter? They're going to encounter other worshipers. They are surely pagan. They have a different worldview, different deities, but they are deeply religious in their false religions. So God instructs people of Israel saying, you are holy nation, you are unique. Your purpose is to uh, shine and introduce the wholeness of God to other nations. You are the vehicle of blessing to the rest of the nations. How are you going to do? By practicing a proper worship. And that proper worship had to be at the proper place. And this is where Israel really struggled through their entire history. So it had to be at the doorpost or at, at the door of the tent of meeting. And this may be a somewhat smaller picture. Again, you can look it up in the Exodus studies and you will see a little bit bigger. 
But this is a God, God gives instruction for worship. God designates the place. God designates the animal. What else is there to create and to think about? How difficult it is to follow this instruction? Really not difficult. God spells out everything, absolutely. And yet we read the history of people of Israel, they forsook the law. I just finished reading Second um, Chronicles, and it dawned on me as Second Chronicles, really the foundation for Chronicles is the book of Leviticus. Every single king was not assessed how economically advanced he was. Every single king was assessed how precisely they followed the book of Leviticus and the book of Torah. The success of every single king or the failure was either obedience or disobedience to these clear instructions. So what was the responsibility of the worshiper? So if you, to put yourself about 3,000 years, it's about 1450. Um, So it's, yeah, 3,500 years back in time. So if you were to bring an offering, what is your responsibility? You you desire to worship God. What, yes? Okay, you come to the right place. And also it has to be a, uh, no defense. And you have to bring the right animal. And you're the one that has to slay the animal. Correct, and you have to, you have to slay the animal. But first, first the offerer had to lay the hand on the head of the offering. I know we read the concept of laying hands in multiple different contexts, but in this specific context, what was the, the instruction, the purpose? Notice there is no worship from the human heart that is acceptable to God unless there is an atonement. So when, when the worshiper comes and lays the hand on the head of the sacrifice, he makes this, uh, th- this visible transfer. First, understanding the necessity of blood, and second, there is a need for a substitute. This animal is going to take my place. As, as sincere as my worship may be, it is insufficient, unless there is a perfect sacrifice that would atone for my sins. Secondly, like we heard the worshiper had to slay the animal before the Lord. Notice this phrase, and we will see it in other sacrifices. He has to do it before the Lord, in, in, in the presence of the Lord. Our worship is not before people. It is before the Lord, ultimately. He had to skin the animal and cut it into pieces, and he had to wash the inner part and legs of the animal. And next comes the responsibility of priests. This was their role. First, Priests had to do what? They had to collect the blood and they had to apply the blood around the altar of the whole burnt offering. For what purpose? And we've heard this word for the atonement. So what does the word atonement mean? Substitute. Okay, substitute. Close? To cover. 
Who can quickly find Psalm 32, verses, verses 1 and 2? This is a sword drill. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Just a little bit later, a few months later, after David's sin and he was confronted, he reflects on his prior sin and he pens this psalm saying, Blessed is the man whose sin is covered. And who covered his sin? The Lord covered. Notice when, when David uncovered his sin before the Lord, the Lord covered him, his sin. But when we cover our sin, God is going to uncover it. And this is really the instruction we see in the New Testament to confess our sin, to come before the Lord to uncover it, because we are in need of that covering. And where do we find in the Bible the first covering the Lord provided? Adam and Eve. Adam and, Eve. and we still need the covering. And as we will find out shortly, that covering has been provided to us. So priests also had to arrange the fire on the altar and arrange the pieces of the sacrifice so it will be consumed in entirety. So what do we learn as we reflect on this burnt, whole burnt offering? What are the lessons that we learn for 21st century Christians who are remote so far from Book of Leviticus? Total commitment. Total commitment, yes. So I, I titled, really, God's Acceptable Worship. First, who regulates what true worship should look like? God regulates. It's not regulated by Facebook or social media or uh, just the, the public opinion, as maybe sincere or insincere we could be. It doesn't matter. God is the one who regulates how he is to worship, to be worshiped. Second, the worship to God. And I, I would like somebody to read this passage, Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 10. Hebrews 10, because here uh, we see that the whole burnt offering really points to Christ. He is that perfect sacrifice that atones. Hebrews chapter 10, 1 through 10.
Thank you. Uh, I would encourage you to, again, uh, look up these notes and reread this text. But notice the author of Hebrews, he argues in saying that those offerings, even though in the multitude they were not sufficient, but there was an offering of one who offered himself, Jesus Christ, once for all, just the sufficiency of his sacrifice. Acceptable worship to God is really by faith in God's substitute. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that in him, in Jesus Christ, we may become righteousness and have his righteousness. Um, we worship God through the ongoing intercessory ministry of the great high priest, Jesus Christ, the better high priest. Hebrews 7.25. And then, Ken, you mentioned that we are called to consecrate ourselves. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, Paul says, as you have learned the gospel, what is your result now? To be that living sacrifice that is acceptable to God. talking about the entails and how they were offered up and stuff like that and it was pleaded only to um, God but then in the New Testament it talks about the same uh, prayers but they are a sweeter only to God yes in the definitely book of Revelations and in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that we are that aroma so it's very important how we spell and how we smell (laughs) I just remember uh, Dr. Varner's sermon Uh, well the the, again another important truth when we consider that since we are to be a living sacrifice we also call to walk a new and living way putting our faith in christ uh, in hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 and 25 and, and the author of hebrews specifies what it means for us as a church and this is going to be last text uh, I would like somebody to read Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. It is somewhere in the neighborhood to where Pastor Campus is preaching, so I think it would be good highlight. Thank you. Notice in this text, uh, Paul describes the condition, really the, the economic condition of the churches in Macedonia. You be Thessalonica, Philippi. They were in great poverty. And yet they, they pleaded with Paul to accept that offering, the financial gift uh, to the saints in Jerusalem. And they've given with a great liberality. But notice what came first. They first have given themselves fully, completely to the Lord. Uh, Paul would use that uh, really to launch into 
uh, financial giving, and I'm not necessarily, because I'm a treasurer in the church, want to speak about this subject, but what I uh, wonder, and it really always encourages me to see this church as an example, the churches in, in Macedonia, that they first have given themselves to the Lord. This is the true heart of worship. Then all the areas of their lives will be aligned to that. What are some songs we sing about our total commitment to Christ? How many of you know the song, All to Jesus I Surrender? All to thee I freely give. How about the song, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise. So this whole burnt offering, it really sets our mind on our entire commitment and devotion to God as we worship him here collectively and throughout the week. Any questions? Just an observation. The only thing that wasn't burned was the blood. The blood remained as a covering. So that when God sees us, he sees the covering of blood. Thank you, Ken. Let us pray. Father God, we are grateful that you have given to us in such a detailed manner the manual for worship through the book of Leviticus. We're grateful that that book points specifically to your son, Jesus Christ, who came as a perfect lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world, who offered himself once and for all, and he is that sufficient sacrifice, both acceptable to God and sufficient to cover our sins. And it is by faith in Christ you receive us, and we are grateful that we can come before you, that we can adore you and worship you. And I pray, Lord, that may our entire life be consecrated to you, and may we continue to live as an act of worship to you, walking with Christ. Amen.